This episode of Into the Foliage is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. The one thing that put me off of using binoculars for ages was the fact that I had to carry them round. But due to the compact size and the fact that they are super lightweight, using the Ultravid HD Plus binoculars from Leica is an absolute breeze. The clarity is unreal. From thinking my eyesight was pretty spot on, to suddenly seeing birds so clearly I could practically see the seeds in their beaks. What I'm trying to say is, when I'm out on a walk using them, it feels like I've got HDTV for me eyes. And now, on with the show. Evening, Jan. Welcome. It's been a while since Hello. we've done an Into the Foliage. How are you? Do you know what? I'm good. Well, I'm quite good. It's not even been this year, is it? Oh my God, it's... Is it, was it last... I don't know. What is, it any- what is time? No. <laughs> I don't know what anything is anymore. But it's lovely to That's see you. Ex- ex- existential. I know. Let's, a, um, let's pretend I'm not having a crisis. Time? Although I'm sat here in a Hawaiian shirt in spring. But let's not, <laughs> let's not make out as if I'm having a crisis. Um, how, how's your day been? Have you had a good one? Not bad. Yeah, just um, had a long journey, got caught in traffic. But other than that, pretty good. That beautiful British lockdown traffic that we have. What about you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm shattered. I've done a personal best with dog walking today. I hit 31,000 steps. Blimey. I know, I know. 25 kilometres, 15 miles. That's long, isn't it? I know. Five days a week. It's why I'm slim, Jan. People always ask me, how do I do it? Yeah, I mean, you don't need the gym, do you, when you're doing that, really? (laughs) Not when I've got hamster teeth around the corner. No, that that is my gym. Well, this is really exciting. We've got a... We got a good, uh, good episode today. We're talking about trees. Ooh. And I love a tree. You know that, Jan. Yeah, you do love a tree. Love I love a tree. a tree as well. I've been <laughs> noticing all the. I've been noticing today all the magnolias and the blossom trees out. Oh, I love that. Our blossom in London came out really early. Earlier than it felt. Well, usually there was a few around the corner out, and they're nearly done now. I miss them already. <laughs> I oh, come back. On, on, it seems to me like it's just happened in the last. Three or four days, they're all gone bang, you know, and they're just all out at yeah. once. It's nice. Um, it's, it's warmer here in London, so maybe that's the, that's why. It's, probably it's you've got early. a little little microclimate going on there. Well, yeah. <laughs> did you know that mag? Did you know that magnolias are like from prehistoric times? That's unbelievable. Isn't it? I do. One of the <laughs> oldest plants. Yeah, really. Sorry, old. just the way you said it. It's just that it was your delivery more than anything that I liked. It's like, <laughs> amazing, that isn't it? That is amazing. It is, it is it amazing. Is. It is. And so are crocodiles. Common. It's mad. Yeah, but I, yeah, but that's yeah. But you can believe that because they look like a dinosaur, don't they? But a magnolia tree. <laughs> no, you wouldn't look know. like a dinosaur. Does it? No, and it doesn't. No, it no. really doesn't. And they're pollinated by beetles as well. Have you been on a magnolia course today? <laughs> no, I just watched Gardeners World. <laughs> It was on Gardener's World last year and it sort of blew me away that I was really impressed with that. That is pretty epic. Mm. It's nice. Thanks for the Magnolia chat. What is, let's let's do this before we bring in our guests, what has been your green naturey gardening highlight of the week, Jan? Oh, th- th- I can't even, there's so many now. Do you know what I mean? What we, what was the allotment and the garden? <laughs> we'll, do a, we'll do an episode on it. But do if you, you know had to pick what? one... I know what it's going to be because I sent you the photo today and you really liked it, didn't you? Um, yeah. I went out to just deadhead a few daffs and there was a bee asleep in one of the daffodils. It was such a lovely picture. I'll tweet it. Yeah, and I just sent it, I sent it to you because I knew you'd really like it. It did. I proper smiled when I saw it. It was a real kind of Disney picture, uh, something from Alice in Wonderland, just this lovely bee sleeping under a daffodil. 
was really nice. So that was really that's sort of a nature thing. But that's very nature for you. It is nature. Uh, plant wise, I've I've just got box plants now. Every I've got loads. When I opened the back door on that hot day, I could actually smell because they've got a smell quite distinct, and the whole garden smells like box now. That's what you were aiming for, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, I'm a, you know what I'm aiming for. <laughs> I'm not going to say it anymore because you're laughing chateau. My chateau. <laughs> chateau in Essex. Nice. Well, they're good. That's nice little highlights you've got going on there. Yeah. So, and what's yours been then? Well, I've been in the garden a lot this week. I've got my wildflower seeds, sown them outside. I've got my sunflowers in my scuttle. Someone left a scuttle on the street and I grabbed that. So I've got sunflower seeds planted in that. Nice. Um, and do you know what? A uh, plant highlight today is I was walking with a friend of ours, Lily Phillips, the comedian. Yeah. Who's just been on ITV sketch show. I was um, oh, walking with Lily Phillips and we saw some wild garlic in quite a large mass. And she didn't didn't know what it was. So I said to her, oh, this wild garlic is amazing. Um, come and have a look. And we tore a tiny bit of the leaf. And I went, look, look, try a bit. And I was like, it's amazing. And she went... Yeah, it's all right. And she carried on walking. Could not give a <laughs> f- <laughs> And you know that when you're really trying to get someone into nature? No, nothing. So that was a no. highlight for me, but for Lily, yeah. nothing. But that was my, yeah, I think being in the garden a bit more with the warmer weather and also just seeing all the all the flowers and the plants. Um, we should bring in our guest. We should. We should. We always do this. We're going on a tangent. Our guest today is, and I, I, I'm always try and say I'm not putting this lightly, is an expert. In what we're talking about today, we're talking about um, trees, specifically urban trees or trees in urban environments. Our guest is Mr. Paul Wood. Paul, welcome to Into the Foliage. How are you? I'm very well. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me, Ryan. It's an absolute pleasure. And I've got to say, the listeners won't know this from the audio, but Paul's background could not be more on point on Zoom. <laughs> um that's You were telling me that was in Hearn Hill, your background of the cherry blossom, isn't it? It is, yes. So this is... If it wasn't Hern, if it wasn't lockdown, I'd be making a beeline down to Hearn Hill to check out the blossom on Winterbrook Road, which is lined with Yoshino cherry trees, which are actually quite rare in the UK, but uh, they're the most popular uh, cherry tree in Japan, and they're in full flower right now. In fact, they're probably just about going over. Amazing. It looks, I mean, from your photo alone, it looks incredible. So I imagine standing on that street just must be like, ah, there must be bloggers every single year. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) That just run there to to get their pictures. Um, But Paul, it's a pleasure to have you here. We're super excited to chat to you today. Before we get on to our main questions, do you want to start by telling us and the listeners who you are and what is it you do? Well, I am the aptly named Paul Wood and I write and research about trees. And I've written a, a three books and also I'm the editor of a map about great trees in London and I'm also researching a new book which is going to be about urban trees throughout the UK and Ireland so hopefully I'll get a chance to bend your ear about that a bit later. <laughs> you absolutely will you will and you that map I don't know if we've got this in our question list so t- t- can you tell us just quickly a little bit about that map? Yeah so it's uh, called the Great Trees of London map and it's published by a company called Blue Crow Media, and they've done a bunch of maps, mostly about architecture in London and other cities. 
So uh, you can look up great brutalist buildings in Boston, for instance. They've done a, a map of that, but they did a, a tree map, well, a couple of years ago. Well, I suppose it was a couple of years ago, and, and I was commissioned to uh, write it and select the trees. I'd spent quite a long time whittling it down to just 46. So it's the 46 wow. of London's uh, greatest trees. The long list was considerably longer than that, I must say. Paul, are they in order of, they, or in no particular order? Well, it's sort of, that's a very good question. They are in alphabetical order on the back. So oh. one side's a map and it's got a bunch of, um, you know, points on a map, which are numbered. And then on the other side, it's got all the, all the uh, details about each tree with a little photo. And um, the trees themselves are in alphabetical order. So um, if it's an oak tree... It's uh, O, etc. So it's kind of it's really simple, really easy to follow. Paul, when I said you you could dumb it down, I didn't mean that much. <laughs> Jan, we should go when lockdown's completely gone. We should do. Could we do it in a day, Paul? Do you reckon? I think so. There's been a few people on Twitter and uh, on social media that have been cycling it. I think you'd have to do because some of the trees are, are kind of some are out in Richmond and others are. One's up in Wanstead, so you'd have to travel quite a long oh, way. Wow. And then there's Hampstead Heath. The cherry trees behind me are actually on the map, which is Hearn Hill. Oh, wow. So that really is one into the other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's uh, it would be quite an epic journey, I think. In fact, it'd be a great <laughs> uh, great challenge to see who could do it the quickest. A bit like one of those oh, ones. Oh, damn. Of... He's just set us a challenge, Jan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if, it, if it involves cycling, I won't be doing that. <laughs> Just to let you know. I bet you could do it on the tube as well. Jan's out. I'll get a cab. <laughs> Can't meet you there. So when did you start, when did you realise that you started loving trees? When did your love for nature and trees begin? Well, I guess it's something which I've always had since I was a kid, really. I was very lucky in that where I grew up, my family house, the garden behind it, backed onto a wood. So I was able to go and go off into the wood and play around in the woods and with the trees and everything. And when, when I was about 13 or so, I kind of suddenly noticed that all these little trees were appearing in the garden and stuff. And I started collecting them and putting them in yogurt pots. And then I started identifying them. And then I, I had this huge collection of uh, little tiny trees and my mum used to be a bit uh, annoyed about that, I think, but um <laughs> Bizarrely, though, she got into bonsaiing as a result of this uh, supply of uh, trees that were suddenly available to her to um, do something with. And uh, oh. in fact, I've still got one of the trees which she bonsaied in the 1980s. And it's on my terrace here in North London. That's a, Tiny. That's wow. amazing. Do you know what? We rarely get that from someone where it's being inspired the other way around usually it's always the parents inspiring the children but you've kind of inspired your mum to get to bonsai and well yeah i guess so yeah that's nice that's so lovely and like i always find like obviously the the common answer is when me and jan ask people you know when did it start is obviously it's always a childhood thing but i think for trees as well there is something really it's, it's like as a child you see a tree and it's so big isn't it because mm. you're so small as a child and there's always that urge to want to climb and explore them um, did you find that much as a child as well, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I was absolutely sort of intrigued by trees because because we had the wood, but as well as that, there was one particular tree that was literally growing at the end of our garden that was in the wood, 
but it overhung the whole garden and it was a huge beech tree and it was enormous and it was this kind of presence throughout my childhood really that mm. um you know very benign presence that was just there and it was huge and it grew and it changed in the seasons and in the winter you know the wind blew through it and stuff and I always thought of it as a kind of guardian tree perhaps Oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Imagine if every garden had a guardian tree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a really big and old beach. Lovely tree. One of my favourite trees. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so if the listeners are slow on the uptake, if you haven't guessed, we are talking about trees today. I don't think I need to say that again. But let's get to a bit of the basics, Paul. Can you tell us what makes a tree a tree? That's a really difficult question and uh, uh, I've kind of been struggling to think about uh, what makes a tree a tree and I suppose there's there's several things is it lasts it's not it's perennial so it keeps on going Mm. and unlike say a bulb for instance which sort of dies down and comes back up a tree is permanently there and it can change in the seasons and so on it's long lived and it's woody Mm. It grows wood, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so it uh, it becomes big and solid. But within that, there is a tremendous amount of variation. Um, you know, I'm not sure that's a particularly good definition of what makes a tree a tree. Um, I, in a way, it's sort of is a really difficult question because I guess everybody knows what a tree is when they see one, but when mm. you actually try to define what it is. Uh, I'm struggling to provide a particularly good answer for that one, I'm afraid. Next. <laughs> next, next. I don't know. No, that's funny. It's funny you say that because that's true, isn't it? If you pointed at something, you went, what's that? You go, tree. You go, and why is it a tree? You go, oh, I haven't got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there are some very technical things that, that describe why it is a tree in the sense that how wood is formed and how it uh, moves water and oxygen around and all of those sorts of things but I don't know whether probably haven't got enough time to go into that and I must admit my knowledge of plant botany is probably uh, I'm not I'm not an expert in plant botany I have to say so <laughs> join the club though what you're in you're in good company <laughs> oh dear <laughs> don't you might you might be struggling with the next question then if you're not um just just giving you the heads up there Paul um so this is the question why do some of them grow to such a big size? How do they grow to that size and live for so long? Well, I think that that's, that's actually not so connected to botany. That's more to do with environment, I guess. So, um, mm. for instance, trees like to group together. So when you group together in a wood or a forest, they kind of compete with one another to get the light. So that encourages them to grow up and that habit i suppose is something which is you know is something which has evolved over hundreds of thousands millions and millions of years you mentioned magnolias earlier jan and they've been with us for millions of years and the ginkgo for instance which predates the dinosaurs that was here before the dinosaurs and outlived them um so trees have been at it for an awful long time and they have these subtle ways of competing with one another and so on. So they so size is important to a lot of different species, but some are quite small. And then age is also determined in many ways by environment. So, for instance, a good example is the bristlecone pine, which is the oldest tree in the world. And uh, there's one uh, that grows on the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. 
um, mm. and it's 5,000 years old. And it's not a big tree, but it's a really big, it's a really old pine, and it has been dated to be this old. And the climate on those mountains is extremely harsh in that it has a very short growing period. So that's high altitude. There's a lot of ice and snow during the winter. The spring and summer is quite short. It doesn't get much water, but there is enough for it to cling on. So that tree is in this harsh environment, which means that it is growing pretty slowly and therefore it can grow to a very old age. Then if you were to take one of the, a seedling of one of these and grow it in a garden in England, it'd probably be lucky if it lasted 100 years. And that's because mm. the climate is so very different and the environment is so very different. But then again, you get a tree like a yew tree, for instance, which in England and Wales and Scotland will grow to, um, you know, can be thousands of years old. So it depends. And they're all strategies, I suppose, to do with reproduction and dealing with the environment and finding a niche within the environment as well. So there's lots of different reasons. It depends. <laughs> it's the short answer. <laughs> 5,000 years old. I'd love to go and see one. Yeah, that's that's the thing I love about trees. And that's why I love them. Because sometimes you see an oak and you just look at it and go, how long have you been here? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I know oaks don't reach 5,000 years old. But you, you just you look at the tree and the age. And especially when you see... Like, tree seedlings and you're just like you're just so brand new and like you're gonna get you could you've got the potential to be so big and to grow so like old i was just gonna say oak trees will live to a thousand years so they're they're not short-lived <laughs> so that that just just made me think you saying about the great trees in london because i'd come from london and i grew up where my dad grew up and where my granddad grew up in north london actually and now i'm thinking they must have looked at the same trees as me like we would have, mm. you don't. Now you've said that, that's weird, isn't it? Like in it is, but then you think about a five thousand year old tree, like that. That tree, then, if you so Paul, you said that has been dated five thousand, approximately five thousand yeah. years. So you imagine that was going on before the beginning of Christianity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, oh god. Do you know what I mean? Oh, maps. I just I find it fascinating. Yeah. So, all right, Paul, this might be a hard question for you now. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really conscious about throwing hard ones at you. And there might not be an f- answer to this, but how many types of tree or species of tree do we have? Mm. <laughs> That's an interesting question, actually, because there are, I'd say, tens of thousands, maybe 30 or 40,000 mm. different species of trees. And you could never be precise because evolution means that they're changing. They're evolving in different ways and subspecies are, are forming and so on and so forth. So and new species are being discovered all the time. So it's very difficult to say, but maybe it's worth thinking about where tree diversity is. And so, for instance, in, mm. in the UK, we have this idea that we've got something like 50 or 60 native trees which is a term i don't like very much at all but these are trees which allegedly have been here since the last ice age as a point a a sort of random point in time and they're regarded as native so that's a very undiverse array of trees and that means we've only got we've got two oak species we've got two birch species or three birch species we've got one hornbeam we've got one beech but if you went to somewhere like 
the Caucasus or parts of China, parts of North America that have not dissimilar climates to us, they will have much, much more diverse range of species and they'll have hundreds, if not thousands. But then if you go to more tropical areas, the diversity just is exponentially much larger. So in the Amazon rainforest, for instance, within a small area, you might find hundreds of different tree species within a square kilometer, and you wouldn't find very many of the same trees. You'd have to travel quite a long way to find another tree of the same species. And so those sorts of things determine the diversity. So the warmer and wetter and milder and more predictable the climate is, the more diverse a range of trees you'll find are. That's that's an interesting point because we spoke about with, when it comes to native plants and native trees, and it's a conversation that we have quite a lot with animals as well. But what, why do you not like the term native trees? It seems like it's so anthropomorphic in the sense that we're mm. applying this term, which I feel has lots of issues associated with it. And then if you think of this idea of what defines a native tree, it means that it's been with us since the last ice age. In a way, that's a very random way of describing it. So for instance, if you think of the mineral jet, which Whitby is famous for, it's a mineral which is composed of fossilised monkey puzzle trees or some ancient ancestor of monkey puzzle trees that once grew on what's now the the Yorkshire coast. So, (laughs) you know, if you look at it in really deep time, it's so difficult to use that term and to sort of be Mm. so definitive about it. I think those are the things which I find difficult about that term. And when you think about it now, um, London, for instance, you'll find hundreds of different species growing in London, some of which have become, well, they, they... reproduce quite happily here they have sort of act like um, they live here so let's uh, celebrate that i'm going off piece a bit here but the ones that you said different species growing do they sort of get blown in off the seeds and that people have got in their gardens or yeah that's really interesting it's mostly to do with humans that have brought tree species to this country but When you think of this notion of the native tree, how did those 50 or 60 trees arrive here? And they'd have arrived under their own steam. And the logic or the the sort of received wisdom is that once after the ice age, the ice caps receded and the climate got more appropriate for trees to grow, they spread from these refugia where they'd, they'd managed to cling on in southern Europe and so on. So they got to the what's now Britain, before we became an island. So while we were still connected to the continent. Mm. So it's thought that they just arrived here by seeding themselves and gradually moving uh, in that way that plants would naturally move if if, if it wasn't for us, I suppose. And that's the point where, that's the cutoff point is when Britain became an island. But I don't think that accounts for things having arrived, um, you know, on... On a on a log yeah. which has floated yeah. across the channel, or on the yeah. back a of a bird, seagull, yeah, or something. Yeah. Or someone's has, showing. Um, so, yeah, it, <laughs> it's very difficult to to be so definitive. I think. So, what's important about trees? Why are they so important to us? I think for many different reasons. First of all, you know, science 
will now be able to explain all the benefits that they provide us in terms of making the environment um, livable on our planet. And also, we've known obviously for a long time about all the economic value that they provide through fuel and building materials and food and so on. But, you know, I kind of look at it from an emotional point of view as well. If you look at a tree, you're sort of kind of connected to it in a in a way which is mm. probably difficult to explain but that's something which i think is very important and there's lots of research beginning to suggest that the longer you spend in green space and particularly in tree scapes like forests and woods the better it is for your mental as well as your physical health and so i think trees are really important on many different levels I really yeah. agree with that. And I, like, you know, I think we've said that God knows how many times on this show and on Into the Wild and on Into the Foliage about spending the time in it. And like, there, there is a connection. I, I mean, okay, I've got to be careful what I say here because A, I've got long hair in a Hawaiian shirt and I'm vegan, so I can't sound too yeah. hippie-ish. But there is something you do feel around the tree. You do kind of get that, I don't know, that there's an energy there. Oh, God, what am I... <laughs> You know what I mean, though? There is that kind of... You do get that feeling around trees, and it is very overwhelming. And, I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that it, there's so much to say about trees in, in regards to that aspect. Um, with the environment, Paul, do all trees help the environment? Yes, I think, you know, all trees help the environment to a greater or lesser extent. It depends what you mean by that. But all trees, um, you know, they photosynthesize and they produce oxygen and they store carbon so on that mm. basic level there that's a benefit some trees will give more benefits than others and for instance if you think of those things as well the bigger a tree is the better the benefits it can provide in terms of carbon storage and oxygen production and so on so those types of trees are really good on that level another way to look at whether a tree is beneficial is to think about the other life that it supports mm. in terms of the biodiversity value that it has. So if you think of an oak tree, for instance, an oak tree can support hundreds of different species, including insects and fungi and animals and so on, through the, through the food plant and shelter that it provides and the relationships that build up with mycelial networks and so on. So there's all sorts of things that trees provide in different measures. So also this is going back to this notion of the native tree. Um, mm. it, it kind of means that often trees that have been here for a long time have longer and better relationships with other creatures that live within this ecosystem. So they have evolved together and therefore they can work together. But then a good example is the sycamore, which is regarded as a non-native, alien, invasive species <laughs> by some. And in fact, the sycamore supports hundreds of other animals and living things, almost as many as the oak tree. So it's swings and roundabouts, I think. It's never one way or the other, is it, with nature? This is what I mean. You can't say definitive. That's you know that thing's Absolutely. bad that thing's good it's just too much and like i guess that also brings us back to the age of the tree as well but 
you know, that's also, you know, they're helping the environment and other species. But also the longer they live, the more reliant those species are on that specific tree. You know, even, you know, if a tree's getting, like, living there for near a thousand years, species will evolve to live around that particular tree as well. It makes them so vital. Yeah. And Um, also, when trees age, they become, um, you know, when when they're in their senescent phase, which means their dying phase, which can last centuries in in the um, terms of an oak tree or a yew tree, for instance, very specific animals will be associated and fungi will be associated with trees within that phase of their lifespan. So wow. if you think of somewhere like Richmond Park, which is full of old oak trees, it's also full of very rare insects and fungi, which you don't find in younger trees or around mm-hmm. younger trees because they've evolved to deal with those dying trees in effect wow we should be telling hs2 this <laughs> <laughs> we should record oh well, we are recording this bit i'll send it to hs2 just, just yeah. listen to this bit guys listen to this bit well um, go I, on, Jan. before i ask the actual real question can i just ask my own question <laughs> you know you said about sycamores is that the one the little helicopters come off of yeah, That's I just wanted to check that. So I remember that from when I was... Do you remember throwing them? <laughs> was, was that no, your question? One, but yeah, I just wanted to... <laughs> I feel for that. Is that the, was that your own Jan question? Yeah, that was though? my own one. Do you, That's the best question you've ever asked really? on the show. Don't you remember throwing them when you were little? Helicopters. Yeah, of course yeah. I do. Um, we did have a few trees in Islington when I was a kid. Not many. Um, so the real question is... This is probably quite a hard one. What is your favourite tree, Paul? Well, <laughs> it varies. <clears throat> it depends. Depends on things like uh, what I'm looking at at the time, um, what I feel like, what mm. time of day it is, what's, what time of year it is, <laughs> um, what, uh, what I've just read about or um, what I've just seen. So it's a really difficult one to be definitive. There are certain trees which I always like. So, for instance, I mentioned the beech tree at the end of my garden when yeah. I was a kid. And that, that mm. I love beech trees. Um, I love London plane trees. You know, they, they define the city so much and they've become yeah. such big, wonderful trees. I love hornbeam as well. That's another tree which is very associated with London. You find it in all the old woods like Queenswood and Highgate Woods and so on. And, and on Hampstead Heath, there's some wonderful old hornbeams. When I was younger, I would have said the wild service tree, which is a rare um, tree, which is uh, is is very um, is a very interesting tree. The strawberry tree I like. I love cherry trees at the moment. You know, I'm absolutely obsessed by cherry trees. Every year, I try and learn another two or three different uh, varieties of of cherry tree. The Yoshino, which is the one that's on my background, um, which you have to take my take the word about. It's, they're wonderful, but. Um, <laughs> they um, they are really beautiful trees, Japanese cherry species. So yeah, not a short answer, I'm afraid. <laughs> is there? You said about the strawberry tree. I might be wrong. Is there one in Waterloo Park? There is. Yeah, that's what on my map actually. Is it? I saw it this year. Do you know what? Me and my girlfriend walked past it. When was it? Would have been in the autumn. And we were like, "What's that?" And we just walked past it. Um, Waterloo Park, for the listeners, is a park very close to where people pull our residents to. And I just walked past it. it was, I, I, I took a picture of it. I'd entered it as a strawberry tree. And then we were reading about what you can do with the strawberries. I was like, I didn't know this was a thing. I got so excited. It's a beautiful tree. It is, yes. It's it's uh, one that I've always loved that 
particular that individual tree so that's another mm. thing you know there are very specific there are individual trees that as well as species of trees which i like and that is certainly one of my favorite individual trees the Waterloo park strawberry tree well this was going to be my next question then so what was your favorite tree in an urban area have i just picked it is that it <laughs> well that's 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 a favorite individual tree but you know if i was kind of broader i'd say i kind of love london plains just and i mean as i just said london plains i think really define london and you can't imagine london without them mm. and we're very lucky to have a very large number of mature london plains that really kind of define the city in many ways that's nice yeah I love London. So if you could go and look at any tree in the world or in any type of tree, or is there just one tree you'd like to go and see? Well, I have been known to be a bit of a tree tourist. And uh, I, <laughs> I went to see uh, the giant redwoods in California a few years ago. And I'd oh, also wow. planned to go and see the um, bristlecone pine, the one that I was saying about that's 5,000 years old up in the mountains. But I was there in May and it was snowed in, so you couldn't get oh, up the no. couldn't get up no to see way. them. So that's that's still on my list. Um, other trees I'd love to go and see are jacarandas, blue flowering trees that you see them lining streets in places like Sydney and Harare and Lisbon is full of jacarandas really? as well. They're actually from South America. So they're, they're, those are trees I'm interested in seeing. I'd love to go to somewhere more tropical. Mm. I'm kind of familiar with trees which are from temperate environments that you'll find growing in London. But, you know, my knowledge of uh, tropical trees is virtually non-existent just because you don't see them here. Yeah. Jan, what's your favourite tree? Have you got one? I like the cherry trees that are out now, but I like mm. I, I like olive trees. Mm. But that's only, do, only because I'd, I'd have a garden full of them. I just love them. I like that Mediterranean vibe. You do. You, you're very, yeah, Chateau Mediterranean. I oh, know, I just... That is, that is you, isn't it? Yeah, do like an olive tree. I've got a couple of little spindly ones, you know, in pots, but I'd like one of the really mature ones with the big trunk. Yeah, bigger one. But I do like an olive tree. But I actually live right near a woods, a, a proper hockley woods, yeah. I live. And I should go there more, really, and look at the trees, like an ancient wood. Is that near South End? yeah. Yeah, not far. Yeah, I think I've been there. They're lovely, those woods. Yeah, it's yeah. really, and that, that's that walk, that's a that ten minute walk from me. Yeah. So, and I, I work in a school that's sort of cut out of the woods, like at the edge of yeah. our playground. We're on the opposite side of the road, but we've got a little woods behind. But on the outside of our playground, it's actually the woods. Like, they're there. You know, when you look out the windows of the classroom, it's little sort of centre parks when you look out. That's so nice. So it is, it is good. <laughs> like a centre park. It is. It's when I first worked, because I, work, I come from Hackney, do you know what I mean? When I first worked, though, I used to look at the window and think, where, where actually am I? You know, like, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm looking yeah. out the window to this, you know. But, um, yeah. So let's move on to urban trees then. Um, because this is something you are very much into, Paul. So what got you into hunting these urban trees down? Um, well, I suppose I've been very interested in trees in London specifically for the last few years and 
longer, I suppose, but I've written these books. It's become, it's sort of taken off as a thing which um, I realise lots of other people are interested in. And so Mm. I've found an audience, in a sense, of people that are (laughs) interested in trees in in the city and so on. And it's been my great pleasure to be able to hang out with uh, urban trees and go and looking for unusual ones and people give me tip-offs about them and stuff. And so I often go and see them and, um, you know, I kind of post pictures on my Instagram account of them and stuff like that, which, um, you know, really seems to interest people. So I keep, I've been keep on going at it. And, you know, my new project is about uh, finding urban trees all over Britain and Ireland. So I'm really looking forward to hunting them down all over the country. And I'm looking for help with that as well. So if anybody knows of any, <laughs> I'd love to hear about them. What happens when you get a tip-off about a tree? That sounds very... <laughs> well, it's uh, it depends whether I can go and see it or not. But, um, you know, people kind of do send me things saying, have you seen the amazing magnolia at Lincoln's Inn Fields, for instance? You know, there's a beautiful... Is that again? It might have been <laughs> anonymous. <laughs> uh, it was in flower uh, at the moment, so I think people people sort of like these things, and they sh- they kind of keen to share them. And um, mm. you know, maybe they see me as a way of being able to share it because I've you know I tweet about them and I post Instagram yeah. images of trees and so on. So, and I really like like it when people s- suggest trees to me, particularly ones I've never heard of before. Hmm. So I'm I'm just going to go back a step to the question before because I wasn't going to actually ask it, but now I am because you said you went to Hockley Woods. So are trees that we find in urban areas, would they be different varieties to say that you would find in a woods, more of a, you know, a countryside? Well, the, that's a good – Hockley Wood is a good example of a, a wood that um, is an ancient woodland. So it means it's been there since at least 1600 and probably a lot longer, possibly going back to, you know, the first wild wood. And it's always been woodland. And really it's that our cities and towns have grown up around them and somehow they've managed to survive. Mm. So in London, that's the case with places like Oxley's Woods down in southeast London or Highgate Woods. Um, up in North London, those are really ancient woodlands that have managed to survive. And in fact, you would see very similar trees in Hockley Wood, Highgate Woods, and then a wood somewhere in the countryside. But what has happened in cities is that where humans have been planting trees, they haven't been planting them for the same reasons that woodlands have survived for. So woodlands survive because we've used the wood and we've harvested the products of those woodlands in a very sustainable way for millennia and that's through pollarding and coppicing and so on but humans in towns and cities haven't wanted to grow trees outside these woodlands for reasons other than to beautify the environment so Mm. that means that we've got all sorts of trees from all over the world which have been planted and that is particularly something that you find in towns and cities that you don't find so much in the countryside. Do you think a better term, I've just thought of something you've said there, maybe instead of, do you think a, a good push would be, instead of saying native trees, would be to call them ancient trees? Maybe, but then there is, ancient trees has a very specific term. So um, within tree nerd worlds, you get um, ancient <laughs> and veteran trees, which are very specific Ooh. about how old a tree is. So a veteran tree can be a tree which is old, 
and you might look at that tree and say that's an old tree and then an ancient tree is a tree that you look at and say that's really old and uh, it's <laughs> one that is going to be documented to be uh, really old for its species so for instance it, the trees in Richmond Park I go back to those old oak trees there's some oak trees in Richmond Park that are six or seven hundred years old and those wow. are regarded as ancient trees because that's old for an oak tree but if you find a tree which an oak tree which is a mere 300 years old that's not an ancient tree that's merely a veteran so uh, it's uh, they have these very specific terms for aging trees so I, I know where you're coming from and I kind of agree with your yeah. the idea that we need to rethink the language around that but that's okay that's good oh yeah I'm glad you saw where I was coming from but as soon as you said that I got yeah okay well we, we can't do that <laughs> <laughs> go on Jan so where's the best place in the UK to go to see great urban trees well I'm going to be biased and say London um, yeah. hey. but you know there's lots of other three places three Londoners too. on a podcast Paul you're safe <laughs> so within London there are there are places which are great so you know for instance I mentioned Richmond Park always interesting to go to Richmond Park Kew Gardens What you can't fault Kew Gardens but then, you know, those are fairly obvious places. But also, I would say the borough of Hackney is one of the best places uh-huh. in London to find urban trees. Really? It's got the most diverse range of trees that have been planted on the streets and in the parks of that borough all in the last 20 years or so. And you'll find some really, really unusual species, which is absolutely, I find, really fascinating. But then, you know, let's think of places outside London as well. Brighton is a great place for trees because it's full of elm trees that have all survived Dutch elm mm. disease. You go down to Cornwall, you'll find trees which probably wouldn't survive outside that really mild climate. So somewhere like Penzance or somewhere will have really interesting trees. And then, um, you know, you, you can find historic trees and really interesting and important trees in all sorts of towns and cities. Cardiff has um, amazing trees in Butte Park in the centre of Cardiff. In Glasgow, there's Pollock House, which is a great country estate that's now in the middle of the city. And it has these amazing woodland areas within it. Edinburgh's got some fascinating old trees as well. Mm. So they're all over. Can I, can I just ask you a question? Sorry. Well, is there a reason why the elm tree survived in Brighton? Is there a particular reason for that? Well, there's quite a few different reasons which are all kind of collided. And I have to say that they're probably not doing quite as well as they were because... It involves quite a lot of cash from the county, Mm. from the city council to be able to look after them. But the two things geographically kind of helped. First of all, Brighton's on the coast and it's also got the downs behind it. So in effect, it's kind of quite isolated. So Dutch elm disease is spread by beetles that fly in and put the fungi into the trees. And they only do that that with trees of a certain height because the beetles fly at a certain height. And they didn't like flying over the downs, so not many of them got over the downs, and they don't really fly across the channel. So Brighton geographically was in that position. But then in the 60s and 70s, they had some really good people within the council that any sign of Dutch elm disease, they would cut down the tree to try and protect all the other trees that were there. So Brighton has historically always had elm trees because they will survive in that um, very kind of salt-laden seaside climate and so they're an ideal tree for planting by the sea but it's good management as well as those geographical things Mm. that have helped 
But they're almost like in a pocket then, those trees. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. That is, that's isn't nice. it? That just seemed a weird thing that they'd survived there but yeah. nowhere else. Oh, that's really, yeah. I'm really interested. Um, Paul, I must bring up, your. so you said at the beginning, you're researching a new book called Great Urban Trees. So what is the idea behind this book? What's What, what, are, you, what are you hoping for it? That was a weird way to say that question. <laughs> <laughs> well... Great Urban Trees is a working title. I don't think that's going to be the final title somehow, but uh, it's not going to be published till probably about 2023. And what it's going to be is going to be a celebration of trees all in towns and cities all across Britain and Ireland. And it's a way of maybe looking at towns and cities in a different way. So I mentioned Brighton. Brighton's going to feature in there because it's got this amazing elm tree heritage. Um, mm. Someone like Sheffield will feature because of all the tree process that were there a couple of years ago that, uh, and all the trees that have been saved. And it's my hunch that every town or city pretty much throughout the country has at least one or two trees which are really important to the people that live there. They're landmarks yeah. or they could be really ancient or so on. So I want to find out about all of those and pull them together in a book that will give people a way to find out about all these trees and if they're visiting let's say Manchester they can look at this book and find you know 10 or 20 trees in Manchester that are really worth going to have a look so I'm trying to trying to start tree tourism as a thing I like that I like tree yeah. tourism so Paul I, I know what your answer is going to be really should we <laughs> should we be planting more trees no we should oh no yes we should yes <laughs> so <laughs> curveball More by trees <laughs> uh, that makes sense um so yes of course we should be planting more trees the more the more trees we have the gr the more benefits they're going to provide so we need a lot more trees i think we need to be more aware of trees in towns and cities and that will allow us to plant more here so when you think of somewhere like london in fact one of the books I've written is called London is a Forest. And it really is a forest officially because London has 20% tree cover, which makes it a forest. Really? Um, mm. And that's an official wow. designation. But wouldn't it be great if we got to 30% tree cover? I think that could yeah. work in a city. And imagine how many more trees that would be. Um, those are things that I think we need to think about. Is Where can we put them all? How can we fit them all in? How can we rethink perhaps mm. um, how towns and cities are planned to get more trees in there? Because uh, more trees in towns and cities are going to make, make those places more livable. But of course, we should be planting them everywhere that we can as well. Is there a certain way we should plant trees? Because I see quite a lot of stuff on Twitter at different times when people, maybe if, like, not looking at cities, but when people offset, you know, if different organisations or companies offset carbon emissions by planting trees. And there's quite a lot of take on, on the way and the process that is done when it's just lines and lines of trees. Is that kind of what, what happens there? Why do people get upset when the trees are planted in the incorrect way? I suppose it's to do with that kind of idea of the plantation, which seems very bereft of life and a natural habitat. So I think there's a lot to be said for allowing, you know, if any gardener will be able to tell you that if you don't uh, pull up the little tree seedlings, you'd, have, you'd soon have a, a little forest in your back garden. And that's <laughs> so true. Why we can't just leave land to its own devices, just set that land aside and let the trees reproduce 
and grow mm. as they would do naturally. That seems the obvious thing to do. I think they can quite happily grow rapidly and given a bit of space. Yeah. And like you said, they quite often do. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Our last question on in, Into the Foliage Review, Paul, is the hardest one. <laughs> but if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, what would you pass on? Well, I think probably the thing to think about is the thing that we've it's been a bit of a theme of this uh, conversation, in fact, is probably age and time. Mm. And um, I think an appreciation of trees is as much to do with how they look and so on, but it's also to do with when you think about time in relation to trees, because trees just sort of stand there and they stand there for centuries and millennia. And that gives us a perspective on time in our world. And we apply human thoughts about timescales and lifespans and stuff to trees, and they have very different timescales to ours. And I think that's uh, something that we should reflect on. So that's not a very good bit of advice, but it's uh, more of a thing to think about. I like that. I I don't think we've ever had an answer like that. It's almost soothing. (laughs) 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 It's very nice. Paul, it's been absolute. I've learned so Damn much. Me. I've, on this. I've loved this actually. Yeah, it's been such a fascinating chat, and I'm. So, it's so lovely to chat to you, Paul, because you're local to me. I now know the fact that I know that I was right to be excited about the strawberry tree in Waterloo Park. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm no <laughs> doubt. My be, evening. In fact, I've walked down your street on numerous occasions on my way to uh, the tube station, so no doubt uh, might bump into you one day. Uh, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably non-stop be seeing you now. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm but going to the tube station pleasure. much these days. No, well, you're not missing anything around with the tube. Although they've put some new planters in, Paul. Have you seen? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. No. How exciting. I'm dying to see what they're going to put in them. There's about 18 of them. They're very excited. Um, but anyway, this is more for localised archway chat. Um, Paul, it's lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your insights into the world of trees and urban trees. And um, good luck with the rest of the research for your book. Thank you very much and my pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Great to chat to you both. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Paul is working on, then you can follow him on social media. His tags are in the write-up of this show. A reminder that any views or opinions expressed in today's episode belong to the person who said them and do not represent anyone that we have worked with or are affiliated with. If you enjoyed today's show or you're a fan of Into the Wild, then you can say thanks by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with me or Jan, you can email us at intothewildpod at gmail.com or on social media at intothewildpod on Twitter and intothewildpodcast on Instagram. Whether you just want to say hello, share some thoughts on this episode or even let us know what you want to hear about next. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.